Hi, you're listening to the second series of Rainbow Turtle Rebooted, the podcast brought to you by Rainbow Turtle, the fair trade shop and charity based in Paisley in the west of Scotland. We will bring you the stories from the campaigners and products that show how Scotland supports and benefits from fair trade farmers and producers across the world. Hello everyone, today I'm pleased to be playing a recording of a talk by Sally Sawaya of Meru Herbs in Kenya that she recently gave to the staff of True Origin and Rainbow Turtle in Paisley, Scotland. Sally is the Managing Director of Meru Herbs, the Kenyan fair trade company that produces tasty sauces, jams and herbal teas. Meru is a semi-arid region of the country, where for many years water was hard to obtain for farming and domestic use. Things changed just over 30 years ago, with a collaboration between the Meru Catholic Diocese, the Italian government and the local people, which implemented a project to provide water to about 430 families. This change in conditions sparked off the creation of Meru Herbs, that went on to improve the lives of many people and empowered women to both work in and run the company. Sally's story is one of many of the inspiring ones that have come out of Meru Herbs, where a change in circumstance, combined with fair trade, has transformed their lives. Sally started as an intern with Meru Herbs when she was at university studying for a degree in marketing. She went on to work for the company in various areas before becoming managing director. Other women have been able to buy land and grow their own food. In rural areas, it was often the boys who were sent to school, not the girls, because there wasn't the money to pay for both. The conventional wisdom was that the family got a better return by educating boys. Listen to Sally tell the story of Meru Herbs. Better still, come to our Rainbow Turtle shop in Paisley and buy their tasty products. In that way, you'll be able to help to continue this wonderful story. Inspired by what Sally had said, I went back to our shop and bought a jar of their tomato and chilli sauce and made a yummy stew for my wife and me. Needless to say, I added brown Kilimbero rice from True Origin to complete the meal. Now, over to Sally. Okay, so let me talk about the origin of the whole Meru Hubs project because that is one of the key things about where Meru Hubs where Meru Hubs is today. So we are located in the marginalized semi-arid region in Kenya. And for this reason, our community really had to struggle for water. Water for domestic use, water for their animals, water for their farms. And so in 1989, the Catholic Diocese of Meru, in conjunction with the Italian government, started a water project aimed at providing water to close to 430 families living around the region. And uh, the project provided the pipings and the fittings, and the local community provided the labor. So like they would prepare the trenches and then, uh, I mean, the ones that are leading, then you'd also prepare the trench that's really leading into your home. So at least that was the contribution by the community, the labor. So once the water was in place, there was a need to come up with a commercial venture that would not only meet the operation and maintenance costs of the water project, but also provide 
a source of income for the community. The community was really struggling and also to improve the quality of life. There was a lot of poverty in, in, in the area at that time. So there was a need to come with something that would actually give the community some source of income. And at that time, the Andrew Botter, who uh, you've mm-hmm. met in yeah. one of the Zoom meetings, he, 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 he actually showed up in one of the Zoom meetings. He started Meru Hubs and he did a research and there was, at that time, Kenya was already exporting tea and coffee. But there was a very small market niche for herbal teas. So he, start, he got a group of farmers, 33 to begin with, and they started growing hibiscus, chamomile, and lemongrass. And because of the Italian connections for the water project, our first produce was to a fair trade organization in Italy. And from there, Mary Hubs never looked back. We've always exported to fair trade organization. So right now we are doing organic herbal teas, tropical fruit jams, and tomato based sauces. From the herbs, um, right from the beginning, when the farmers grow the, the hibiscus, the chamomile and lemongrass, and then bring it to the Meru Herbs Processing Unit, which is located at the middle of the, of the water project, of the regional water project, it created employment right away, and especially for the women. When we started, it was open. I mean, we didn't say only ladies, we didn't say only men. But the activities involved sitting down and preparing the fruits, shelling, preparing the fruit. You have to open it up, remove the seed, in, and then they sit in a kind of a, like we're sitting right now. And at first the men came, but they fell out. So it eventually now became like a ladies' activity. And during peak season, we could have between 25 to even 50 women sitting all around. There's a picture we have of the women seated all, and that was just one side. So it could gave... You- it gave income to the women immediately. So what they do, they it's it's called shelling. So they prepare the fruits, they prepare the herbs the whole month, and they get the payment at the end of the month. At first, that was uh, we used to maybe I should mention this. We used to pay them cash, and then you you just give them cash and they take the money home. But then we came up with a rural circle. It's like a saving and credit. So to to provide financial services to the Meru Hubs producers and the staff, because where it's located, the next bank, you have to like drive 30 kilometers. But now it's easier now. You can even use your phone to do banking and all that. Yeah. But then it was extremely difficult. Now, why the rural circle? It enables the staff and the producers to save their money, borrow against their money, and then they can provide food security for their for their families. They can build better homes. They can they can borrow and buy land. I mean, I mean, there's so much that much more that they've had, they've had a chance to do with Meru Hubs project being there. Cause, and then at the heart of Meru Hubs are the women. This is because um, uh, the project provides more income to the women. But then again, what was their option? Take away Meru Hubs. What is the option or? Uh, what 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 were the options for the women? Their husbands or their fathers were teachers mainly. That was they would teach in schools in neighboring schools or something. But then for the ladies, if you're not working in the farm, I don't you didn't have any other. Or if you have an education, you you had an opportunity to get out and possibly go to the city and all that. But take away that, then what else is there for the women to do? And that's why I'm. I mean, we're very passionate about empowering the women and 
and having them get their own income and they can make decisions in their family. And then when it comes to Meru Hubs, 90% of the staff are women. So they take up leadership position. I mean, I am, I am one of the leaders in Meru Hubs. I'm a woman. And the factories, the tea factory, the jam factory, the eco lodge, the organic farming, the growers group, they're all headed by women. So they take up leadership position, which is a rare occurrence in, in rural, rural um, organizations. And then they also participate in decision making. So they have a say. We sit down and we, we talk about, okay, this is, uh, we're making a decision on maybe the pricing, we're making a decision on this, and we sit down and, and we discuss it as a group. So they take up leadership position. And then, um, I don't know, what else can I add on? Do you want to explain how the jam bit started? Oh, the jam bit, okay. So in 1995, uh, one of the farmers while bringing hibiscus to the factory, one of the hubs, uh, came, with, came along with mangoes and were like, okay, I have all these mangoes that are going to waste. I can't sell them to my neighbor because my, ma- my neighbor also has mangoes. So what do we do? I can only eat a, a bit. Mm-hmm. And who am I selling to because my neighbor also has mangoes? So they said, is there anything we can do with them? And we got an expert to come and teach us how to make the jam. Uh, step by step, how to reach the right pH, how to get the right bricks, how to pack it so without, because we don't put any preservatives or, or colorants, how to sterilize it and make sure that. And then we went, at that time even, Kenya did not have glass jars. A lot of the jams in Kenya at that time were being sold with uh, preservatives and then in plastic jars. So we right away imported glass jars. We started from that, from 1995, importing glass jars because we wanted a product that was quality. Quality has always been key. Uh, And so we wanted a product that could actually compete on an international level and then already were exporting. So there was no way we were going to export plastics to, to our market then. And then from the mango, we realized there are so many tropical fruits that we can really um, make jams with. So we went to the papaya, ananas. We started making hibiscus. Hibiscus sells well here, but it was not too popular because a lot of people in Kenya were like sweet. Yeah. So it's really an acquired taste. You either like it, it's either a hit or a miss. Yeah. But it was so interesting how we just decided to do a jam with with hibiscus and. It, it was popular in the export market. Interesting, the Japanese market liked it, but they said it was also too, it was too like tangy or something. So for the Japanese market, we add papaya. So we do a blend of hibiscus and papaya, but I think that didn't sell very well here. It sells better as a, as a plain hibiscus. But now from there, we started experimenting with the other fruits. We have ananas, we have guava, and then the sauces as well. We started doing different sauces, uh, uh, tomato-based sauces, because the farmers also, also, also had a lot of tomatoes that were going to waste. So to reduce all these post-harvest losses the farmers were going through, we decided to make sauces as well. Right now we have the tomato hibiscus, the basil sauce, and the, the chili, the little chili. But now we're going into garlic, experimenting with other products. And then um, the green tomatoes, that's very interesting. It's a new range. It's actually Italy has also ordered it in a smaller jar. And uh, we're looking forward to also introducing it in the market here. Yeah. The jam factory, actually both factories are not automated. Everything is done by hand. 
even the tea bags, putting them into the into the nini, packing everything is just done by hand. The cooking is done by hand. Uh, it creates employment for all the, for the women, and it's something that gives us a lot of. A lot of pleasure. I mean, a lot of um, fulfillment. Yeah. I think you said when you started out, you had to just sell bulk tea because you didn't have the ability to put it into tea bags. But by putting it into tea bags, that's added value. Value addition, yes. And, and yeah. All. Yeah. Do you want to just um, tell us about Angelica? Oh yes, Angelica. Angelica just. I mean, when she cleared high school, she was just at home, and then she got an opportunity to get employment from Meru Hubs, and. She started in 1991 with the tea factory, but when we started in 1995, when we started doing the fruits, she is the one who, one of the people who are, to, made, who are shown how to make the jams and the sauces. And she took over that and she grew and became the head of the jam factory. Angelica is one of the success stories of Meru House because she's been able to actually buy land, educate her two children. She's been able to buy, to make a very nice home for the family. She's supported her own parents who are also struggling and all that. So she really is one of the passionate story we can talk about when it comes to the Meru Hubs women. And a lot of them actually have similar stories. She's the one that we featured, I don't know if anyone remembers our International Women's Day post this year, but we featured Angelica then with mm-hmm. a really powerful quote that I'm not going to pull up just now, but you maybe can remember it. Uh, when you, when yeah. you, can I pull it, can I? Yeah, if you can get it quick. Um, I think it's also really interesting that, I mean, Sally started at, at Meru just as an intern yeah. at, whilst you were at university and was so mm-hmm. inspired by what they were doing. You've been there ever since, basically, mm-hmm. haven't you? Yes. Yeah. Um, an empowered woman is powerful beyond measure and beautiful beyond description. I think the other thing that I thought was really interesting when we were talking on Friday was the, the comments about people now valuing that, that it's worth educating girls. Yes, because um, at, when Meru Hubs was starting, uh, Kenya was, st- I mean, the, especially the rural area and especially that area of, of Meru, the Tarakaniti, it's called Tarakaniti, there was this concept where you educate the boy child because the boy child has better chances of uplifting the family. It, it is a very, uh, it, it's a very interesting concept. And so the, the girl child, once they get to a certain level of education, they, they don't see the need to educate the child further. What I love about the Mary Hubs women is they've seen the, the advantage of, I mean, and the need to educate both your girl child and your boy child and take them to further education. So that's what they have done. A lot of the, we, we are doing a youth program where we are trying to sensitize the young people about fair trade as the leaders for t- of tomorrow. So we're trying to get them on board. I was speaking to you earlier about getting the young people on board. And a lot of their children, and especially the girl children, are some of the ones that are involved in this, in this project of the fair trade for the, young, for the youth. I knew that Sally was in Italy to do with this youth program before she came here. I assumed, stupidly really, um, <laughs> that it was about educating Italian youths mm. about fair trade and that it was a consumer-focused <clears throat> project. And it has that element, mm-hmm. but it's also about the farmers and the producers' side of, mm-hmm. and much more international. You said there were people from Peru and Thailand as well. So it's four continents. So there's Peru, uh, Kenya, Thailand and uh, Italy. I think it's amazing yeah. that there's a project going on across those countries thinking yeah. about fair trade and young people, not mm-hmm. just 
us sitting here in, in the UK going, right, how do we get more younger people, people under the age of 50, interested in <laughs> fair trade and, and so on? Um, and I think probably some of the same challenges that we're facing, that younger people are very interested in ethics, but ethics with a higher focus on climate and eco-credentials mm -hmm. and less of a focus on people. And yet the two go very hand in hand and we need to help, we need to make sure that that becomes clear to people. Just thinking back to our discussion about young people and one of the things that Linda, our education officer, ran um, during Fair Trade Fortnight that was really successful with primary children. We had a Fair Trade Bake Off mm -hmm. and we got the, the children to bake cakes or biscuits, whatever, within each of their schools and then have a competition between them. So mm -hmm. you immediately got them working with fair trade mm -hmm. materials and then that enthusiasm to sort of compete and to show off their products and then when they display them and see what they can produce with them. Mm -hmm. That was another way that we um, generated uh, interest and enthusiasm. So I don't know if you can do something similar with your young people, create some sort of interest activity with fair trade products. A number of schools in Kenya, Nairobi, are involved in climate change. They've been, mm. they've been involved in the climate change and climate justice programs. So the local WFTO um, office uh, for Africa and Middle East sits in Kenya. And so they've got the, the same group that's talking about climate talking about fair trade. Mm. So we have a few schools, we have like four schools that have actually started now talking about fair trade alongside the climate change and climate justice. And hopefully from this now it's going to grow. Actually, I think they're pushing for it to be, to be also one of the courses that you can take in school. Like one of the subjects that you can actually do in school about mm. fair trade and, and um, climate justice as, as one. So that's a starting point. I was really excited about that. And it happened just when I was hosting. Each country has had a chance to host. So Kenya hosted first last year in July. So I had the, all the youth coming from the different countries. And just when WFT was doing something with the, with the schools. So we happened to have a session together. That was really, really one of the highlights of the visit in Kenya. You mentioned as well earlier on about the Circle Fine now. Yeah. Could you explain how that works, please? Okay, the, the Meru Hubs Circle is registered as a cooperative. It's independent from Meru Hubs, but it's housed in the Meru Hubs. The, the, the reason why it, it came up is because the nearest bank at the beginning of Meru Hubs was too far. I mean, it was like for security reasons, for, I mean, we, before when we started, we had to carry money all the way from Meru Hubs to pay. Like and then people would line up and you know it was really very old style kind of operation. So we dis so the Meruhab Circle was formed, registered and formed, works independently. And so what the staff do, the, you open an account with the circle. It's like a bank, just offering financial services. So you open an account with with and then the money is credited in your account. So you 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 can take it out if and when you you want. You mentioned something about how where you can give money in mm -hmm. and then every so often every year mm -hmm. one person can get a larger portion of the money. That's different. That's okay. now that that 
grew from the women working together because okay. it's like a social activity. So yeah. they sit around and, and do the hubs and then so they decided to do their own kind of, can I call it table banking? It's where each, each lady gets, uh, they agree on a certain amount that is um, deducted every end of the month. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 In, in Kenya, we call them chama. So they decide who, I mean, the money goes round depending on the needs for the different different uh, women, whatever, the, whatever their oh, needs are. So that's are. more informal? It, that's, that's informal. That is very informal, yeah. yeah. But still really helpful. Yes, really helpful. And then it also brings them together. They, they have a common, brings them together. Some of them even go further and say, let's, instead of one person keeping the money, how about we get the money and then deposit it and then see what else we can do. With it. We've talked quite a lot, even there, about climate change, but I think some of what you do already on um, climate change adaptation and mitigation and so on is, is really quite inspiring. Do you want to talk about like, the solar panels and maybe the solar lights? And... Yeah, yeah, like what we've done now, the factory, the entire factory is solar powered. We're moving away from the grid and then, I mean, the sun, we have the sun. Although some of it is here, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but the sun really is hot in, in, in Kenya. And so why not use that to have clean, renewable energy? And so we've powered the entire, the entire uh, factory on solar. But then also we go further and encourage our staff and producers to also use solar in their homes. And one of the projects that we've done with JTS, thank you for that, and Gavin's Mill is um, do solar solar lamps for the women and it goes a long way to the women because i mean um when the children come in the evening unless you're using a candle or unless you're you're rushing to do your homework maybe in school i mean you first do it in school before you go home or i mean now this has been eliminated because you can now go home and use a solar clean you don't have you, your parents don't have to worry about you burning things and all that you just put your solar and you can do your homework you can there's a lot i mean it's given back to the women a lot compared i mean compared to the main grid which electricity is very expensive i i don't know about electricity here but mm -hmm. yeah. it's yeah. very very expensive <laughs> in in it's kenya and it's also not affordable as well because you need i mean it's not as uh, it's not affordable to especially in the rural areas yeah so and those the lights also have a radio a radio and a charger you know for them actually it's the mobile they don't want mm. their mobile to go off yeah. so <laughs> it has a charger a charging station and it has a, a radio and all you have to do is just leave the panel out so for them it works perfectly we've had a previous project where we had the panels actually put on the rooftop some farmers some producers yeah I think the, the Transform Trade grant has, is going to enable you to invest in more solar panels for the factories and to replace some of the... Mainly, yes, to, to refurbish the current system that we have in the factory because it's been since 2018. And then also uh, another little thing we do is, I mean, the organic farming. It, it has a lot to do with soil conservation. We encourage our farmers to do reforestation. We don't use fertilizers or chemicals or any... Any, anything that is going to go away from the ecosystem. And then we also encourage our farmers, okay, you're growing Meru Hub's products organically, but also grow your food crop. It means for your good, is for your own health. Also, the food crops, the, little, the maize and beans that you're growing for your own consumption, grow them organically. So we preach organic farming also to the 
to the producers. And, and you produce a sort of a drip irrigation system that helps them. Yeah, as opposed to the sprinkler. When the water project began, we they did sprinklers. So all the water, the beneficiaries of the water were went for sprinklers, spring. But now we are we're encouraging drip irrigation. It's a little bit more expensive, but it just means you collect water in a little tank and then you, you put lines for the drip. I mean, you do drip irrigation as opposed to it's better use, usage of water. So we're encouraging our farmers for that as well. I hope you've been inspired by Sally and the story of Meru Herbs. It was a real pleasure to meet her and to find out how their products come to our Paisley shop. If you enjoyed this episode, check out the others in this podcast. I'm currently working on an interview with Rachel Ferry of the One World Shop in Edinburgh that I hope to be putting out in the next couple of weeks. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We believe that it is by telling people's stories that our customers connect with those producers who provide our quality and tasty products that we sell in our Paisley shop. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and share it so that others may listen to it as well. Most importantly, spread the word! A wee thank you to Patrick Quinn, who created the music accompanying the podcast. It's a delightful piece called Column's Path to Trading Fairly, and reminds me of the music that accompanied the TV series All Creatures Great and Small. Feel free to listen, sit back and enjoy. Enjoy.